0: You're listening to the Serial Podcast production of Hidden Things, written and read by Doyce Testerman. This is Episode 8, brought to you by Kickstarter backer A. Matthews. Calliope stood in front of her mirror wringing water out of her hair with the towel, her eyes tracking the dark water spots across the shoulders of the clean t-shirt she'd pulled on after her shower. Behind her, in the mirror, the bed was rumpled, the sheets twisted. Proof enough of a bad night's sleep, even if she couldn't also feel it in her neck and back. You always wake up so gracefully. She scowled and tossed the towel over the shower rack, then started for the door of the bedroom. But she lost momentum and stopped after only a few steps. The crease across her brow deepened. Make sure you know your reasons. Still facing the mirror, she turned her head, wincing at the pain in her neck, and checked the clock. Still morning. Early. Most of the day to kill. Banned from the office. But those aren't the only files to check, she murmured. She finger-combed damp hair out of her face. Blew out a long breath and glared at the disheveled bed lurking behind her in the mirror. Reaching behind her, she twisted her hair into a loose knot, turned, stepped up to the bed and tugged the covers into an approximation of order. That done, she dropped into a crouch, reached underneath the bed and, after several half voiced growls and curses, fished out two oversized, dust coated shoe boxes, one labeled band stuff, The other, not band stuff. She swiped at band stuff with the edge of her hand and wiped the resulting film of dust on her jeans as she flipped the lid up. Unlabeled demo CDs lay in a stack on top of several t-shirts folded with the rigid precision and sharp edges of an American flag presented to a soldier's widow. The other end of the box was a collection of flyers from clubs throughout Silver Lake and Echo Park. Bar coasters, clippings of reviews, and a small jumble of junk masquerading as mementos. All told, the box was two-thirds full, arranged like a memorial shrine for a distant relative. Calliope riffled the edges of the CD cases, rolled her eyes at the ridiculously over-enthusiastic headlines, and flipped the lid shut before pushing the box to the side. Sitting back on her heels, she pulled the second box to her and hooked her fingers under the rubber bands that held the bent, center-bulging lid of not-band stuff in place. The smooth outward tug pulled both rubber bands off simultaneously with a muffled snap pop, and the lid immediately eased upward a half inch. Calliope lifted it and set it aside, scanning a heaped stack of paper and photos that, as far as organization went, had more in common with the clothes hamper than the band box that sat nearby. The topmost slip of paper, a barely legible handwritten note, slid off the stack and onto the floor. Calliope picked it up, thumbed it open, and tipped her head to read the words she already knew. Hiya! I think I found an apartment! I know we said we were going to wait to look at an apartment, but it's a good apartment! You should see this apartment! It's a good apartment! I love you, and we'll listen better next time. Josh. P.S. Apartment! She refolded the note and set it back in place. Leaning forward, she picked up the overstuffed box, rose up, and dumped the contents onto the bed. I want a face to kiss! Calliope, curled up in an overstuffed chair widely considered the ugliest and most comfortable in the city, speaks, loudly, to an empty room. Earbud headphones dangle from her neck. She holds a book half-closed in her lap, one finger marking her place and listens. Several seconds later, a door opens, and footsteps move in her direction, a steadily increasing drumroll cadence. Josh slides into view, tipping his weight at the last moment to lean against the door's frame, his arms crossed. He raises his eyebrows, assuming the bored expression of a Bond villain, and says, Sorry? Clypie settles into the chair, a smirk poking dimples in her cheeks. I want a face to kiss. He tips his head, brow furrowed. I see. Well, he glances over his shoulder and down the hall. I can check the takeout menu and see if the tie place has face. Calliope raises an eyebrow, fighting to control her expression. I do not think you understand. Josh cocks his ear toward her. I don't. I, she points at her chest. Face, she points at Josh, then swings her finger in a lopsided oval. Kiss. Again, she points at herself, specifically, her mouth. Oh, Josh explains. Right. He rushes straight at her, building momentum and dropping to his knees halfway across the room to slide the rest of the way to the chair. Oh, God, she says, lifting her book in front of her as a shield. The chair lurches and thuds against the wall. She lets out a small, much-delayed yelp and peeks from behind the book. Josh waggles his eyebrows at her from a few inches away, still fighting for balance as he leans forward on one knee. Hi. Hello, Calliope draws, pulling her book slightly out of the way and tilting her face to the side. He's me. He tips his head toward her, his lips a bare inch from hers. She feels his weight shift, catch, and shift again. Crap, he comments, then crashes to the floor in front of the chair. Her laughter rolls out of the open third-floor window, loud enough that several people on the street below look up at the sound. I want to go there. Calliope sits on the futon with her feet tucked under her. It's one of only three pieces of furniture in the apartment, not including the stool shared between the keyboards and drum set, and, obviously, the most used. She indicates the small television screen across the room with her spoon, then scoops up another bite of cereal. Outside the window, it's dark. Josh glances up at the screen from where he sits at their keyboard, scratching at a score sheet and testing out chords. The set is muted, but the camera pans slowly over lush foliage and stone pyramids. Belize? Is that where that is? Josh gives her an amused look, and she whirls her spoon above her head. Yes! Belize! My one and only dream! The place I have wanted to visit since... Today? Since years ago! She juts out her chin at him. He grins. Today? Since before I could say the name! She takes another bite of cereal. Which... He sets his pencil aside and pushes the rolling stool toward her, easing off it and onto the couch next to her. Was today, since you didn't know the name until about ten seconds ago. She pulls the spoon out of her mouth. Details, she enunciates, chewing. Hmm. He props his feet up on the rolling stool, watching the footage of Bermuda shorts-decked tourists sweating their way up the side of a steep stone structure. It looks pretty cool. I know, right? She watches in silence, then returns to her bowl. Some day, she murmurs. Some day, he repeats. They watch the images dissolve one into the other, the only sound the crunch of Calliope's cereal as she eats. Josh looks at her sidelong, then pushes himself into a sitting position, turned halfway toward her. You know, we could get out of here for a while. Calliope looks at him, swallows, and says, You mean go on the road again? He shakes his head. Nope. Good. She sips milk from the bowl, because the the on-the-road thing didn't work so well last time. Agreed. He scratches at his cheeks double. I meant us, just going somewhere. The van's toast, she replies. $1,200 fix. Maggie said we could borrow her car any time. She never drives it. True, Calliope allows, but we can't really afford to go anywhere. Unless we go somewhere we know people we can stay with. She eyes him, making a skeptical face. What, like, Penny? She softens her expression. I mean, no, I'm sorry, she would totally let us crash, but it's been raining up in Portland for like 45 days straight. Sure, good point. He settles back into the futon and turns back to the screen. A few seconds later, he lifts his head and looks at her. We could go somewhere, it's not raining. Bowl raised to her lips, she hesitates, then sets the bowl down, shakes her head and starts to get up from the futon. No. It's an easy drive. He leans forward again. You told me you've done it lots of times. She moves to the sink in the area just past the front door that had passed for a kitchenette in the rental ad. Yeah, I did. I also said I didn't ever want to do the drive again. She sets the bowl in the sink, drops the spoon in, and runs water over the clatter. Or go at all, she mutters. Over the sound of the water, she says, We have to finish the new demo. He pushes himself up and perches on the edge of the cushion. We always have a demo to do, he counters, and we don't have a job lined up until the 19th. He spreads his hands. We save all our money for gas, sleep in the car, and we could stay there for a couple weeks, no problem. A couple weeks? She clenches her shoulders in a not entirely mock shudder. I wouldn't last a couple of days. No. You said you wanted to get away, Josh Wheedles, smiling. I said I wanted to go someplace nice. She swirls soapy water around the bowl harder than necessary and blows drifting hair out of her eyes. Someplace exotic. She looks sideways at him over her shoulder. Driving to bumfuck Egypt is not exotic. He stands, sidling across the room toward her. I bet someone out there is raising a camel. No. Or a llama. That's exotic. No. Llama. He slips his hands around her waist. No. A ringing slap. Bright red handprint on her cheek. Surprised tears and wide eyes. She shakes her head to banish the thought, yanks the faucet handle down, and jerks away from him grabbing a dish towel. I don't want to go back there. Ever. Jesus, fucking listen. She turns to walk away, stops, turns back toward him, stops, and finally turns back to the sink and grabs the bowl with a towel-shrouded hand. Hey. His voice is soft. He starts to reach for her again, but she moves her shoulder away before she can stop herself. He stops, lets his hand drop. Sorry, he murmurs, barely audible. She doesn't reply, and after a few awkward seconds, he walks around her and down the hall to the bedroom. Calliope doesn't look up or watch him leave. Once the bowl and spoon are wiped down, she sets them in the drying rack, moving as though she's afraid they might break, or that she will. Once done, she hangs up the towel and leans on the sink. The door to the bedroom closes, leaving her in silence, alone in the kitchen. Just like before. Damn it. Her voice is a whisper. Calliope jerked up from where she'd been curled on the bed, surrounded by old pictures and handwritten notes. For a moment, she didn't know what had woken her. Then the knock came again, the kind of sharp, piercing rap that very few people could manage without using an actual knocker. She didn't move, though, until the knock came a third time. When it did, she lurched to her knees, bounced stepping across the mattress as carefully as she could to keep from bending photos. Papers drifted to the ground in her wake. She pulled the door to the bedroom closed as she left. She checked the peephole but saw no one and jerked the door open, stepping outside to call back whomever had knocked. She stopped after a single step forward. Hey, Vicus said, his face shadowed by the sweatshirt hood. He shoved his gloved hands into the pockets of his coat. Ready to go? Calliope didn't reply. After a few seconds, during which she leaned forward far enough to check the street in both directions, as though hoping there might be someone else waiting, she stepped back and crossed her arms, leaning on the door jamb. Vycus sighed in a way that made his chest rumble. Unconsciously mirroring Calliope, he checked the street to either side as well. Might not be such a great idea having a long conversation out in the open. He turned his attention back to Calliope, whose stony expression had not changed, and shrugged. Just saying. Calliope's eyelids lowered in annoyance and she looked away, her jaw working. Rummaging through her old life, sloppily jammed into a shoebox, had left her in a foul mood. It was everything she could do not to simply shut the door in Vikus's face, but she suspected she'd feel that way regardless of who was standing on her front step. Finally, she turned and pulled the door open, motioning him inside with a twitch of her hand. Vikus seemed to accept this wisely as the best invitation he was likely to get and stepped inside, then moved out of the way as she swung the door shut and walked back into the house, dropping into an oversized chair in the corner of the living room. He sat down across from her. She looked up and frowned. You don't need the hood in here. At this, he hesitated. After a few moments, he reached a gloved hand up and pushed away his hood, then sat back. Calliope's eyebrow quirked. That face paint has to be itching like hell by now. Vicus's bead black eyes stayed on hers, shining in the midst of the paste white face and violently reddened mouth and lips of the clown's face that she'd first seen on him the night before. Not really. How— She cut herself off, fighting another spike of irritation. Any other time, curiosity would have pushed her further, but not today. Never mind. Fine. He pushed himself forward and cleared his throat. What? Why are you here? She interrupted. You have an appointment with Gluen. He folded his hands behind his head and leaned back in the chair. Figured I'd tag along. That's tonight. She glanced at the cheap plastic clock hanging on the wall. Several hours later than she had expected, she dozed off for longer than she thought, but still, nowhere near nightfall. Yep, her visitor replied. Calliope waited, but he offered nothing further. Her eyes narrowed. She stood up and walked toward the kitchen. You want coffee? Vicus ignored the delaying tactic. Coffee's fine. No sugar. Put yours in a travel mug if you got one. The two didn't speak. There was no sound except the clink of cups being moved and filled. Then Calliope returned and handed Vicus a cup. She sat down with hers, heavy, ceramic, and terrible for travel, held between both hands. The cops called back this morning. Ficus reached up, scratched at the corner of his mouth, nodding to himself as though confirming a suspicion. You don't say. He took a long drink from the steaming cup and grimaced, his lips stretching back. What did... He interrupted himself, his face suddenly sharp. Did you tell him about me? Homeless stalker guy, she said. I mentioned you yesterday, but didn't say much. She took a drink herself, her mouth twisting. The coffee was still hot, but had been cooking down since early this morning, untouched. Hot was the only thing it had going for it. I didn't want them worrying about something that didn't have anything to do with the case. Did they buy that? Buy it? Hell, I believed it when I said it. There was nothing to buy. But they let it be. Calliope frowned, her head tilted. Johnson did. Walker got a little squirrely about it for a while. Which one's Walker? Calliope described the sharp Vs of the federal agent's features. Why? she asked. He shook his head and took another drink, swallowing forcefully. Just wondering. Walker's a... He shook his head. Interesting name, at least. His questions had reminded Calliope of something else. Walker said that a homeless guy was seen around the place where Joshua was... She looked down at her coffee cup, clenching her jaw where they found the body. Vikus looked at her over the rim of the cup. Yeah? Was there? He finished his drink and let his eyes slide away from hers into the empty cup. Might have been. Was it you? He shook his head. It's a very long way, he said in a different, softer tone of voice. I realize that. I am purposely living about as far away from there as you can get without learning another language. He looked up at that, then shook himself free of the quiet in the room. So, what did Detective Johnson and Special Agent Walker have to say? It was just Johnson, she scowled. They've gone over Josh's last message and can't get anything more out of it. She blew air between her teeth in disgust. The official opinion is that the timestamp is a hardware malfunction. The one that says the call came in... After he supposedly died. So they're giving up? No. She told Vikus about being blocked from returning to her office while Walker's people searched the files. That's an awful lot of work to find something they heard about on a malfunctioning answering machine, Vikus observed. Kind of what I thought, Cliopey replied. But Walker and I didn't really hit it off. I figure it's just him pulling a dick move to amuse himself. Mess up our files, leave them for me to straighten out. It's happened before. Sure. Vicus tipped his head to the side as though mulling over possibilities. Or they're actually trying to find out more about gluing. Why would they? There's no real reason from their point of view. She stood up. They don't know half of what I do, and I don't know a goddamn thing. She looked at Vicus. Do I? I wouldn't put it that way, Vicus said, But you're not wrong. He stood up and handed her his empty cup. She'd barely touched hers. You want to fix that? Her brow furrowed. How? A little side trip before going to see Gluin. He made a show of looking out the front window of the house. That's why I showed up early. Some cunning plan like last night? Calliope turned back to the kitchen and walked away. Vicus watched her back, then followed her as far as the archway. She looked up from the sink as she emptied her mug. What if I say no? Then you say no. He shrugged in a way that made his coat shift in unusual ways. It's not a big deal. Just something maybe useful. He leaned against the archway. If you want to hang out here for hours, pining for the moment you can go see Gluon again, it's your call. Calliope turned back to the sink to rinse out the cup. When you put it like that, not going along sounds pretty stupid. Only if you don't like gluing. Which I don't. No one does, Bikus replied. Even among his own kind, he's considered creepy. What's? Calliope cut herself off with a shake of her head, pulling down a towel and drying her hands. What's his kind? Vicus asked for her. Short question. Long answer. Come with me and we can start working through it. She turned back to Vikus, who returned her look with his impossible black eyes. This time it was Calliope who gave in. Where are we going? Cagone, Vikus replied. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Hidden Things Audiobook Podcast. This DRM-free production was made possible by the Hidden Things Audiobook Kickstarter backers, and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 license. As always, watch out for the hidden things.